Thank you, Peter, for leading us in our time of prayer this morning. So the past few weeks, we've been looking at the subject of grace. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, 15, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. This is such an important subject. And in the past couple of weeks, hopefully we've, we've learned something about the nature of grace. We looked at first um, when Jesus meets the lady at the well. And he asks her for a drink and she says, this is the wrong way around. I, I, I can't offer you a drink. You've got nothing to drink out of. I'm a, um, I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. And Jesus asks her for a drink. And then he talks to her about the living water. She says, I I want that. And he says, well, go and get your husband. She says, I haven't got one. He says, too right, you haven't. You've had five, and you're working on number six at the moment. And she's confronted with the pain of the reality of her sin. But Jesus still extends the invitation to her to drink of the living water if she can turn away from her past life. And we see the grace that God gives us despite our past to give us a better future. It's a wonderful moment when that lady goes running off into the town, calling, calling people, knocking on doors, saying, come and see, come and see. Whereas just a few hours before, she was so ashamed, so unwilling to meet people that she was going to draw water in the heat of the day when she knew there would be no one around. That was the first week. Last week, we considered the the master who decided to call in his debts, and there was this servant who owed billions, completely unpayable, and he says, you need to pay me back, and the servant says, I can't, and the master says, okay, well, I'm going to sell you and your wife and your children, your livestock and your house and everything you own, and at least I'll get something back, and it will teach you a lesson, and the, the, the servant pleads for mercy, Pleads for grace. And the master says, the debt is cancelled. And the servant goes off and straight away he sees a friend of his who owes him 20 quid or so and and grabs him by the throat. You pay me what you owe. And the guy says, have mercy on me. I'll, I'll pay you, but not right now. But that's not good enough. And he has him thrown into prison. And the servants are absolutely appalled at this, the fellow servants. And so they tell the master, And the master goes back to the original servant who owed the vast sum and says, the debt's reinstated. If you're not going to treat others the way I've treated you, then I'm afraid grace isn't for you. And so we've learned something about the nature of grace. And the writer of the letter to the Hebrews says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. You see, grace is almost a, I I always imagine it, if you take all the different elements of the the fruit of the Spirit, mash them all up into one, that fruit salad that you end up with, that that smoothie, if you want, that's grace. All those different elements combined together, and we can't take one of those elements out and still call that concoction grace. You can be a really nice person, but if you hold a grudge silently, then you haven't quite got grace. You can be a really generous person, but if you're, you're cold-hearted, 
then you haven't got grace. Grace requires all those different elements to be, to be, to be present in order to truly be grace. And so today, we're looking at the aspect of gratitude. Grace equals gratitude. We've got that verse there, 1 Thessalonians, which says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, you would have heard it said before, it's important to note it doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. Sometimes we go through circumstances which we'd rather not be going through. That's life. That's reality. But if we truly believe in a God who is the author of our, our path, the author of salvation, who's written the story that we're living, who knows what our yesterday held and what our today can hold and what our tomorrow will hold, then we've got to believe that the circumstances in which we find ourselves, whether we like them or not, are God's will for us in Christ Jesus. And therefore, there will be something that we can find to give thanks in. You see, we live in a society which we don't always like to, in which we don't always like to present our, our reality. We like to sort of... Um, go online and look at what other people are doing in life. And so often, so often we see the good bits. We see the holiday photos. And you think, oh, that looks amazing. Lucky old them, wish I was there. Or we see someone celebrating um, a, a birthday or something with a lavish meal and it all looks amazing. Wow, everyone's smiling. Why don't I feel like that? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. You know, I, I'm not a great um, social media user. Um, uh, but um, I, do, I do every now and then spy on other people, see what they've been up to. You know, it's just it's interesting, isn't it? Um, so I'm not knocking it. And in fact, it's encouraging. A bit like this morning, you know, we came and we shared things, positive things, good news. It's encouraging. So I'm not knocking it. Please don't, don't think I'm having a dig at, at that sort of thing. But sometimes, sometimes we, we think to ourselves this. May your life be as awesome as you pretend it is on Facebook. Sometimes we can be tempted to be sucked into this, this sort of this slightly narcissistic way of thinking. That I've got to present to the world this, this image of, of smiley, happy people all the time. Social media influ influencers, they, they do this. They kind of, if you, if, if you use this product, you'll be as happy as me. And you look at their, their, their story on Instagram or whatever it might be, and you see a sea of joy and happiness. And sometimes they might present, uh, they might talk about a certain issue or something like that, and it gets a little bit serious. But most of the time, these people, these people use advertising. They're, they're using their lives to advertise certain products. And so we can look at them and feel that, wow, I wish my life was as awesome as that. But of course... The reality is that they are just as challenged in life as we are. But this is nothing new. The idea of looking at our lives and, and thinking, oh, I, wish that, I wish that, this was, that I was living the life that so-and-so is living. I wish that I had something else. I wish that life was better. This idea is nothing new. And this morning, we're going to begin by looking at Exodus 16. So, just to give a bit of context, this chapter, Exodus 16, um, it was Exodus 14, where God did that 
that little act, which was easily overlooked, where, um, where the Israelites who had been for 400 years slaves to the Egyptians, and they'd been persecuted, and they'd suffered, um, and suddenly God calls up Moses, and Moses leads the Israelites, uh, there's been plagues, and there's been, uh, there's been the frogs and the locusts and the blood. There's been these awful things going on, and Pharaoh eventually gets the hint that, that God is more powerful than Pharaoh. And so Pharaoh says, just get out, just leave. You and your people, just get out. And so Moses leaves the Israelites and gets to the edge of the Red Sea. And there's this barrier. There's no bridge, there's no boats, a bit of a problem. And then, just to make matters worse, Pharaoh's changed his mind and sent his army to go and to recapture the Israelites. And Moses is standing there and God says, just, just hold up your stuff, just walk into the water, I will part the waters. And sure enough, God parts the waters and through they go and as the Egyptian army come chasing them down, the waters close over them. And the Israelites have been set free. That was in chapter 14. So, Chapter 16, we read these words. In the desert, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us out here into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. So in other words, they're saying, boy, oh boy, oh, I wish I hadn't bothered. What on earth has God done? He's brought us here. He's brought us out of that place where we, we had all that, that meat and all the good food. Oh, that was lovely. Loved Egypt. Great place. I want to go back there one day. Yeah, that was cracking. That was brilliant. Blooming God, he's ruined it all, hasn't he? He's ruined it all. We're hungry, we're bored, we haven't got any meat. Egypt was like an all-inclusive resort. You see how quickly, this is, there's been one chapter between the liberation of the Israelites and the moaning and complaining kicking off. One chapter. Now, we can't be sure time-wise how long that, that, that was, but it can't have been long before the ingratitude kicked in, before, before God's grace was ignored. The complaining had already started. Now, God, of course, is a God of grace. But we mustn't, be, we mustn't kid ourselves by thinking that he's a pushover, that he'll let us get away with, with that sort of attitude. Sure enough, God responds by saying to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So God still wants them to have a, a Sabbath, a day of rest. So God's response to this, God's initial response to this, this complaining, to this complete lack of gratitude, isn't one of condemnation. This is one of a parent saying, okay, all right, fair enough, you're hungry. I get that. Um, you've, you've completely ignored the, the huge, huge um, thing I've done, just done for you. You've forgotten that pretty quickly, but okay, I'll, I'll give you food. I will rain down from heaven 
food every day, bread from heaven. This is another miracle. It doesn't rain bread, does it? We know this. It can't, but God can. And so God provides food for his people. It rains down on them. Now, manna, it's an interesting stuff. Um, I was trying to find out a bit more about manna, and it's interesting because in the Bible, manna is described as being something um, which it, it rained down, and it wasn't actually bread. It had to be ground, and then it could be made into bread. And it was described as tasting like something made with olive oil. In other cultures, the word manna was used to describe a sort of a, a sweet sap that was got out of trees and then, and then added to bread and things as to make a sweet bread. And so manna is, is, a, is a word that's not um, unique to, to Scripture. But as far as I can make out, every single day, um, the stuff that was raining down, you know, the modern equivalent, it was either like having Krispy Kremes raining down or maybe a, a Domino's. It's one of the two. That's kind of how I, how I imagine manna. It's, it's not bad. And even those two food types, you think, well, fair enough, you might get a bit fed up if you had that every single day. But come on, what's the, what's the alternative? The alternative is starvation. This is God raining food down, giving to his people, providing to his people. But still they're not happy. This, this attitude of, of complaining, of a complete lack of gratitude, it goes on. And so in Numbers 11, so this is some way on from the initial complaining, the rabble with them. So it started off as a rabble. Now this, was not, this is not the entire um, people of Israel. This was a relatively small number. The rabble, the troublemakers, the ones who, who never had a good thing to say, the, one who Mo, the ones who Moses probably thought, oh, no, not them again. Lord, really, do I have to? <sighs> All right. I mean, you don't get those people in church. <clears throat> the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Oh my goodness. Isn't that disgraceful? I mean, can you imagine? I, I, I imagine if, if my son came up to me and said, Dad, we've had, we've had the same food. Mum's kept the same food every single day for the past week then I'd like to think that I'd say, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's just, let's just think about this. Are you really complaining about that? Do you really think that's right and that's fair? No. But the Israelites don't see it like that. And so often we can make that same mistake where we find ourselves complaining. Do you know what? I was once in a very, very similar situation. When I used to work up in, in London, um, there was a restaurant uh, just off Cornhill, and it was called Steak and Lobster. They had a fairly limited menu. <laughs> Three dishes. You could have steak, you could have lobster, or you could have steak and lobster. And um, there was one week where on, on, on the Wednesday, 
we'd been invited out to lunch by some underwriters, and um, we went to Steak and Lobster. I thought, oh, fantastic, I, I, I love it. It's a good, it's a really nice restaurant. And um, walked in, and they said, terribly sorry, we've had a problem with our suppliers. We, we've only got lobster. So you think, oh, how awful. So we had lobster. Lovely, great. Um, the next day, we were, we were taking some, some people out, and um, they, they said, oh, can we go to this, this steak and lobster place you've mentioned? I said, yeah, sure. Yeah, okay, no worries. So we went there, and the same thing happened. We've, we've still got no steak. I'm really sorry. We're working on it. So you think, okay, fine. Um, we'll, have, we'll have lobster. So we had that. It was really nice, succulent, well-cooked. Um, on Friday, we had just closed a deal, and I said to our, um, our sort of junior, who'd done a lot of the donkey work on this deal, he'd been great, I said, right, look, we'll, we'll go out for lunch, you choose where you want to go. And he hadn't been on either of his previous lunches, and so I walked in on Friday morning, I said, where, where have you booked? And he said, steak and lobster. I said, no. <laughs> no, we're not, we're not doing it, no. He said, why not? I said, I've had lobster for the past two days, I don't want lobster three days in a row. Can you, can you imagine? What a ridiculous statement. What a ridiculous statement. And so um, he, there was an underwriter who was coming with us, an email, email change of venue, um, and um, I, said to, I said to him, look, we're not, having, we're not having lobster, book an Indian. And so he said, um, he wrote out, and this underwriter came back saying, oh, how come, how come the venue's changed? And our junior just went back saying, Madders has had too much lobster this week. The ribbing I got, quite rightly. But it's so easy, isn't it, to think, oh, I've had too much of a good thing, I want another good thing. Grace, grace does not say, that good thing you keep giving me, I've had enough of it, give me another good thing. That's not grace, that is not gratitude. Grace is grateful for what it receives, truly grateful. And it doesn't ask to be made truly grateful, if you remember last week's sermon as well, in that prayer that so often is taught in schools, make me, make me truly thankful. No, don't make me truly thankful, I should be truly thankful. So God, this time, has a different reaction. He says, tell the people, he's talking to Moses, he says, tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. They wailed. Free food being given out and they were wailing about how bad it was. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. You will not eat it just for one day or two days or five or ten or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it because you have rejected the Lord who is among you. You have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? God's furious, and rightly so, because God is a God of grace. But grace works both ways. And if we, are, if we are petulant and ungrateful, if we show a distinct lack of gratitude, it does not please God. And here we see, I love that. Yeah, you're going to have so much meat, it's going to come out of your nostrils. You're going to eat until you're sick of it, and then you're going to be asking for manna again. God is a God of grace. But if we are truly God's people, then we should be a people of grace too. God takes complaining, a lack of gratitude, he takes it personally. Because when we complain, what we're saying is, God, what you've given me, it's not good enough. And God looks and says, 
everything I've done for you. Come on. When we complain, complaining keeps us focused on what we wish was different rather than being thankful for what we have. Complaining keeps us focused on what we wish was different rather than being thankful for what we have. We would always have things we could complain about. There will always be things that we wish were slightly different. But if we focus on them, if we spend our time vocalizing that and complaining, then it shifts our attention away from gratitude. And others see us, and others look at us, and all they hear is someone who complains. And then they look at us and say, glad I don't go to their church. Their God doesn't sound much fun. You see, complaining, complaining is serious business in the eyes of God. Listen to this from Proverbs chapter 6. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, someone who stirs up dissension among brothers and sisters. So there we've got, we've got murder, we've got lying, we've got judgment, We've got false witness, people who, who devise wicked schemes, who rush into evil. These are pretty serious things. We're not surprised that they, they're, the, they're the six that really upset God. But what might surprise us is that the one who stirs up dissension is in that list as one of the seven things that God finds detestable. When we stir up dissension, it's because we're pointing out all the problems, all the things that are wrong, all the things that we'd rather were different rather than focusing on the good stuff. In other words, complaining. And complaining there is included in Proverbs in this list of things that God finds detestable. Not just a bit of an irritant, a bit annoying, something he wished we didn't do. They're detestable to him. When we have an attitude of complaining and moaning and lacking gratitude and focus on the, what we haven't got rather than what we have, then we are detestable to God. Strong words. Strong words indeed. But unfortunately, it's so easy to slip into those sorts of habits. And this is just a light-hearted exercise that I, I just want us to do now, okay? So, first world problems. We look around the world and we see an awful lot of serious problems. People with true reason to complain. And yet, in our lives, so often it's the first world problems that really affect us. So up there we've got, um, I don't know if you're be able to work out what it is in the top left-hand corner. Um, someone's tried to dunk a cookie into a glass of milk, and sure enough, the cookie is too big and won't fit in. And that's annoying, because you're looking forward to a nice milk-soaked piece of cookie, and you, take, you, you, have to, you have to eat a dry bit first. And for some people, that's a first-world problem. Um, you don't have the newest iPhone? Yep, for some people, that's, um, that, that's pretty important. My laptop's dying, but the charger's in another room. I've got to get up and go and get it, and I can't be bothered. Um, oh, no, there's nothing to eat when we've got a freezer stocked full of food. 
I spend more time looking for a movie to watch than I do actually watching the movie. So I just wonder um, if anybody here, just a, just a quick exercise, has anybody here got any first world problems that, that they, they, they've been sitting there this morning and suddenly think, oh yeah, I can identify with that, I do. Anyone got anything that they can think of? I'll tell you, I had one a couple of weeks ago. We had a McDonald's, real treat, brilliant. And um, we went to the drive-through, got the food, took it home, and I like to have a, I like, to, I like just a single cheeseburger uh, um, in addition to the main meal. Um, it's just, it's just nice. I know. Please don't judge me. Um, and uh, we got home, and Joe got Tim's out, and he had his, and then there was hers, and then she got mine out, and I was sitting there expectantly because I had my fries, I had whatever else I had, and I was just sort of thinking, okay, and then here we have the, the crowning piece gets put on top, and I've got the three bits, and I'm happy. And she just picked up the bag and screwed it up and put it in the bin. And I said, what about this? And I've seen her put in the order. And it wasn't there. Yeah, I know, I know. It got me too. And I'll tell you what, I ate that meal. And all I could think about was the fact that it wasn't a complete meal because I didn't have the extra cheeseburger. First world problem. So I'm, I'm not going to push it. I'm not going to push it. Not everyone likes to, to share these things. But... There will be things this week that, that you find yourself complaining about. And I just urge you just to pause at that moment and just think, how can I, how can I be thankful for something? Remember, the complaining makes us detestable to God, but, but we should give thanks in all circumstances. And in these circumstances, maybe I can give thanks for the, the, the food I have got rather than the food that I haven't got. Maybe I can be thankful for the phone that I have got rather than wanting the new one that I haven't got. I'm sure there'll be things in your life that you think of. Now that verse that we started with from Hebrews 12, I only read the first half of it to begin the sermon. The full verse says this, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. I was out in my garden yesterday, meant to be my day off, but um, I was told in no uncertain terms that I had to put in some hard labor. So I was out there digging away, and the spade suddenly struck something. And I had to work quite hard, and eventually I got through it, one end, and then this thing was just, just seemed to be everywhere. And I spent a long time trying to hack through a root. And I knew that I was using this passage in the sermon today, and so I was just like, oh, nice one, thanks, Lord. I've got, a, got, a, got an illustration. But you see, this was in a flower bed. And the, the, the strange thing is, the reason I wanted to bring this in is because the plant this came out of was this puny-looking thing. It was, it was this, this, I don't know what it was. Um, it could have been a weed, it could have been a shrub, I don't know. But what I, what I do know is that the, the actual plant on the surface, it was really puny-looking and pathetic-looking horrible old thing. And then it had this sort of woody lump underneath the ground, and these things, and it wasn't just this one, but I didn't want to bring them all, so it would have been a bit much, but these things were growing out of it. And I thought, why on earth do you need this to support something so puny? But clearly it does. But the reason I brought it in, you won't be able to see ever so, ever so well, but I'm sure that you would have seen something before like this, is that there are other roots growing out of this main root. And these things are like hairs. 
they're so fine and they're so delicate and they're so unthreatening that if I saw one of those in my flower bed, then I wouldn't do anything about it because they're nothing. But it's attitudes like that that cause a massive, big root, a root strong enough to withstand several blows of a spade, a root strong enough to get underneath a building. I once knew a family that lived in a house which had a lot of trees around it. Beautiful house, beautiful trees. And one day they began to notice that there was the odd crack and thought, I must redecorate, it's been a while. And so redecoration took place, um, but the cracks kept coming back. And eventually the insurance company were contacted, and sure enough, there was subsidence. And that building, over many years, began to subside more and more and more. And eventually the family had to move out, the building had to be repaired. But it was all because of roots from the beautiful trees that lived just nearby. And the roots had gone underground, and they were so big and they were so powerful, they'd broken through whatever foundations there were, and it caused the, as they took moisture out of the soil, they had caused the, 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 the I think it was an extension on the building, to slip and to fall. And eventually, there had to be major reconstruction work, all because of these things. Now, please don't go hacking out trees and digging out roots and things on the back of this sermon, but the reason this is in Scripture is not to teach us a lesson about horticulture, it's to teach us a lesson about our spirituality. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. You see, within our church, there can be minor disagreements. Yeah, some, someone says something and someone's upset by it, and so those people just don't really talk for a little while. And you think a bit, well, that's just like a little hair. It'll be all right. Don't need to worry about it. I'm just going to avoid that person because they've upset me. And then weeks go by, and then months go by, and this thing keeps growing. It's no longer just a little hair because it's become really awkward. And then something else is said, and you hear third hand that they've done something else that's really annoyed you and upset you. And all the time, this is growing and strengthening. All the time, the foundations are being eaten away at. They're being decayed and destroyed. A bitter root is growing up to cause trouble and defile many. And if we don't jump on that immediately with good grace, if we don't show the love of God in that, then before we know it, we've got a major structural issue. Before we know it, our walls have been breached. Now, that's not the building I was talking about earlier, just for clarity. The family did move in, and the house is still lived in today. But it took a huge, huge amount of work. And it was all because of the roots, these unseen things. Satan loves nothing more than sending these, these unseen roots underneath a church, which eventually grow to such a size that when they're suddenly seen, when they suddenly sprout up, it's too late. We need to be constantly making sure that we smother one another in an attitude of grace and of love, an attitude that speaks, speaks of gratefulness for what God has done for us, even when we're upset by people around us. We want people to walk into this church and enter an atmosphere of grace and love and acceptance, an attitude that doesn't grud uh, hold grudges, an attitude that doesn't show divisions between certain people. Instead, we should be a true family. Like I said on a church away day, for those of you that were there, and for those of you that weren't, it's for the first time, but it's important to hear 
we, when, we, when we use the word family, let it not be a fallacy. Let it be a truth. Now, I've, I'm grateful to God. I've come into a church, and so far, I think that is a truth. But we can never, ever take that for granted because roots are growing all the time and we can't see them. It's an ongoing process to make sure that in our daily lives, in our daily lives, we are showing grace. Every single day, we can all count our blessings. We can all look around us and see the things that God's done in our lives. That's why we start each week with the fudge tin. It's a bit of fun, yes, but it is important to focus ourselves on the good things that God has done for us. Every day, celebrate God. Whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, there will be something that we can thank him for. Even when we're going through the, the, the valley of the shadow of death, as David puts it, we can still celebrate our God because he's greater than that shadow. He brings light into the darkness. Every day, give thanks. This attitude of gratitude, as some people say, I can't stand little catchy things like that, but it sort of works. An attitude of gratitude, being grateful for the, the things that God has done and recognizing and giving him credit for them. In every single day, don't miss grace. It's all around us. It's there for us every day. God never stops pouring out his grace onto us. And so as a church family, as individual believers, let us remember that we will encounter those who stir up dissension. We will encounter those who complain to us or about us there's a great scene in the film Saving Private Ryan where there's Tom Hanks, who's the captain, and he's leading this group of infantry, and they're all moaning about the state of the D-Day landings and what had gone wrong and the army and lack of provisions, lack of support. They're moan, moan, moan. And someone says, Captain, you're sitting there quietly. What do you think? And he says, what's the point of me complaining to you? My complaints go upwards, not downwards. If I complain to you, it's just going to... Lower your morale. If I complain upwards, something might happen. Well, do you know what? We bring our problems in life to God. We pray to God. We don't complain to him and tell him what's not good enough, but we do pour out our heart to God, and that's absolutely right. I'm not saying we should make a, uh, this false impression of, oh, life's wonderful all the time, but to those around us, to those around us, let's show the joy that comes through knowing Christ, and let's celebrate that. Because by doing that, there will be an attractiveness to our faith, which will encourage others to come, to, jo to join it, and to celebrate it, and to know it for themselves. And that's what we're called to do. So let's take that into our week. I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to ask the band to come and lead us in our closing song of worship. Father God, I thank you so much for what you have given us. I thank you for this church. I thank you for this building, but I thank you for these people. I thank you for the hearts of each and every person that is part of the NCBC family. I thank you for the service that they, that they give to this church. And Father, I pray that you will bless us with a, with a spirit of grace, that we will yearn to, to show grace, especially when it's hard 
when we've been hurt or upset, when someone's not been grateful. Father God, help us to fully understand the nature of grace, the power of grace, and how much, how much more like Jesus we can be if we demonstrate that grace in our lives. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As we close today, we're going to focus again on the gift of grace that God gives us. And remembering that so much of our lives just comes through what God gives us in that grace. Not through things that we can do for ourselves, but uh, through Christ in us. And uh, that's our final song, Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me.